Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand and I not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose, If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this, but God has so arranged the body, giving greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer with it, and if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we gather this morning worshiping and praising you. We gather coming together in spirit as well as in community to hear your word read and proclaimed, to sing our praises, to offer our gifts, and to lay our petitions at your feet. And so during these acts of worship, this hour that we spend together, may your spirit fill our lives so that we would go forth not just as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. 
Now, as a lot, ministers are not known for their ability to tell jokes. As a matter of fact, we probably tell some really bad ones, but there are a couple I want to share with you. Nonetheless, first of all, try this one on for size. What kind of lights did Noah put on the ark? That's right, Meg, floodlights. <laughs> did you read the script? Okay. What kind of car is a missionary's favorite car? Nope, and a convertible. Yeah, you got it, right? There you go. You're with me. What do they call pastors in Germany? German shepherds. Exactly. And then what is a dentist's favorite hymn? For those of you that are musicians out there, what's a dentist's favorite hymn? Crown him with many crowns. So these are all terrible jokes, right? But then there are the jokes that you tell, that preachers tell, that sometimes they're funny, but they're not quite so funny. Like this one, for example. There's a guy that he's on a boat, he's out at sea, the boat has a terrible accident, it sinks, he's the only one that survives, and he finds himself on a desert island. And he's been there for many years, and he finally sees a ship passing in the distance, and he catches their attention, and they come ashore to rescue him. He is just worn out. He looks like he's been living there for years because he has. And they notice four structures. And they say, have you been here a long time all by yourself? He says, yes, I have. They said, well, what are the four buildings? He goes, well, that one over there, that's my home. And he says, and that one over there, that's my church. And they said, what are the other two buildings? He goes, well, that was the church I first went to, but they got kind of judgy. So I went to the other one. And they didn't like me. So I joined this one. Now, that's the problem with jokes is sometimes they're really funny, and then you start to let them sink in, and you think about this. I mean, that last one stings because there's a lot of truth. There's a shard of it in it, isn't there? I mean, anytime we put a group of people together with all of our different ideas and all of our different personalities and all of our different histories and baggage and everything else and our different viewpoints, differences are going to emerge, right? And sometimes when we have those differences, we're not nice about it. And sometimes those differences begin to chase people away and people tend to leave. But you know, the thing about the church is it shouldn't be that way. Be really clear. The thing about the church is it shouldn't be that way. I mean, Paul, in the letter that we're just reading, he's writing to the church in Corinth that's, that's really this melting pot of history. It's this melting pot of regions and cultures. And people have joined it. They've started to follow Christ from different religious perspectives. And they've decided to convert and follow the one true God. And they're following him. But they realize that they have all of these differences in their hearts. That was part of why we talked about last week about this idea of spiritual gifts and how each of us has a gift that's been tailor-made for us that God has given us a gift, which means it's the perfect gift. And we're supposed to use those gifts for the greater community. But what was happening in Corinth, not only did they have to learn that lesson, but then Paul had to kind of remind them that you've got these gifts and they work for the whole. But what was happening in Corinth is they were beginning to take pride like, well, you know, I've got the gift of this and you don't. And so he starts going down this list. Remember, he gets to the end, he goes, are all prophets, are all preachers, are all teachers, are all... He's really kind of reminding everybody that you have a gift your gift is no more important than anyone else's. 
He's writing to de-escalate a bubbling up conflict to reframe the nature of the church for Corinth, but for all of Christendom. So he uses this image of the body. It's both a metaphorical and a theological example that he's giving us. Paul's very intentional in writing this text. I think if you count it up, it's about 17 times that the word body is mentioned in the scriptures I just read. You know, on the miracle, on the, the metaphorical side, you know, when he talks about the body, the ear, the hand, the eyes, these are things that we can all relate to, and including the people in Corinth, because they understood it. I mean, how could the, how could the eye say to the ear, I don't need you? How could the body function if it was just an ear? This object lesson has this very basic approach. It sort of fenced it for him, but then he went deep with the theological viewpoint. He talked about money, and you are the body of Christ, meaning us. We are the body of Christ. Every one of us in this room, all of us that follow Christ, we are the body of Christ, the church. And so we need each other that we are bound together more so, more tightly bound than sinew and bone. We are bound by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. And so this image of the body, this image of the body of Christ becomes a concrete model for the church and for how we follow Christ. See, the church that Christ envisioned is a church that's marked by unity, a church that is marked by diversity, a church that is marked by a corporate communal nature. I mean, we think about the, the cliche, a house divided can't stand. And we see that happening in government, right? I mean, we've got this absolute gridlock going on where nothing seems to get done and the division just keeps getting worse and worse. But what's worse than the gridlock and division within government is when it happens in the church. I mean, that joke at the beginning was funny until we started to think about it. That's when it's worse, when the witness that we show the world is that we can't figure out how to get along the way Christ wants us to, the world takes notice. See, when we get caught up in those church wars that help us, that make us take an eye off our mission, off our purpose, you know, the mission to follow Jesus, to make disciples, to transform the world, when we start infighting and, and, and arguing and conflicting and it takes our eyes off of that, we are blind and stumbling around and ineffective in our witness, ineffective in our ministry. And so Paul is appealing to the church in Corinth and really even to us to think about this idea of having unity in the things that matter. Things like our mission, following Jesus and making disciples, but unity in things like grace and the love of God and love of neighbor. That if everything in our lives were rooted Everything in our ministries are rooted in these four principles, mission and grace and love of God and love of neighbor, then we can't be divided. We can't fail. Even when we have differences of opinion, if we approach our work as a church, if we approach our discipleship rooted in those qualities, we can't fail. And our witness is strong. There's a lot of discussion. Some folks are asking, well, now that, now that we're in 2022, we're going to have the general conference, right? The United Methodist Church is finally going to make its decision about how we go forward, right? Where do we think centenary is going to go? Well, here's my take on this. That is going to happen in September 
But the better question is, is, folks, let's just be really honest with ourselves. Just here within our own congregation, we are not all in the same place on this issue. I know this because many of you have talked to me about it. You've expressed your concerns, you've expressed your fears, you've expressed your opinion, and I like that and I love it and I want to hear more of it. Feel free to call me and share that with me. But think of our witness, though, to the world. If our attitude was this, no matter what, this is my church. No matter what, this is my congregation. These are my people. And this place, this location, this community is my mission field. And so it's from here that we're going to live into our mission, me included, by grace and by love, that we're going to step forward as a family. No, that's too weak. Let's step forward as a family, as a body of believers instead, as the body of Christ. We're going to step forward and we're going to live into that mission. We're going to live into our calling right here in our mission field. I mean, what if we practice this whole idea of unity in everything that is essential? And we said, this is my church. And I may not agree with everything it does, with every step it makes, but we are better together. And so I am all in with my prayers, my presence, my gifts, my service, and my witness. Imagine the witness that the world would see if our membership said, count me in. I'm not leaving. The world would see the body of Christ alive and well, fulfilling its calling, rooted in love and grace. And while we do that, we begin to think about what is in the body of Christ, although that diversity of parts, each other, the gifts that God has given to us. I think years ago, that book that came out, it takes a village to raise a child. And there's a lot of truth of that, that it takes parents and it takes family, extended family and teachers and mentors and neighbors all to raise a child in the community. It's truly a tribal thing, if you will. I mean, I witnessed that in my own life to, to know the support of more than just my family, more than just the bloodline to make me who I am today. I've seen it lived out in the lives of my own children, many of you that have surrounded them with support and care. So Paul points out this whole diversity in the body, all of the parts are needed to help the body function. And so it is with the church as well. Just we talked about spiritual gifts last week and how all of us have those gifts that we're all needed to employ our gifts for the sake of the church to make our ministries here function at their highest level. I think of church members over the years in different places that have given tirelessly their gifts. There was Buddy Lippard who, even when his hearing was starting to fail, still insisted on helping with the soundboard, always enjoyed greeting people because the soundboard was at the back of the church when you came in. And so he would greet people and everybody would say to him, well, Buddy, how are you doing? And his response was never different. Always the same. I'm still good looking. And everybody laughed. But everybody always knew. Some people even walked in and said, Buddy's still good looking. He goes, you know it. But Buddy had in his coat pocket, in addition to running sound, in one side he had Hershey's Kisses, and the other side he had Lifesaver's Mints. And depending on who you were, you got them. And I think he took perverse pleasure in giving me Hershey's Kisses on the days that I was in worship. Because at that church, we wore white robes. And chocolate and white robes should never go together. 
But he always did that. Or there was Janet who was working with our youth program. And Janet had that mama voice, you know what I'm talking about, where Janet could be looking this way and could just sense through her mama spidey sense that something was a brewing over here at the table of middle school boys. And she could looking this way go, boys, and it would stop. It would just go away instantly. Or Jane, who kept the altars always looking right, or ushers that constantly made sure that the church was always on time and that things always happened the way we were supposed to. Everybody pulling their load, offering their gifts to make sure that church happened, that worship happened, that Sunday school happened, that faith formation happened, always pulled into it. See, the joy of the body of Christ is that we put ourselves all in. But somewhere along the line, much like what's happened in other organizations in our world, Sometimes we're down to about 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think about the conversations we've had of late about pledging and stewardship. You know, what we've undercovered is about 30% of our congregation pledges, makes a commitment so that we can plan our budget. About 40% of our congregation gives. Folks, imagine what we could do. Just imagine with me, if 100% of us that declared that we were members of this church fulfilled our baptismal vows and we gave, if 100% of us pledged, think about this, in the pledging part, we could forecast what we were going to receive so we could plan ministries. But if we also all gave, imagine what we could do in ministry. But the joy that Paul is talking about, about the body of Christ is not just all in with our gifts, not just all in doing our part, but it's also all in with how we think and how we gather together as a community. Because it's when we're together that we grow in our understanding of Scripture, we grow in understanding the love of God. I mean, if I took a time out right here and I divided you into groups of 10, I'm not going to, so just just relax. But if I divided you in groups of 10 and gave you a Scripture and said, discuss this Scripture from your viewpoint... Imagine the conversations that we would have. Like say if we took the scripture, the story of the prodigal son, you know, the son that asked his dad for his inheritance before his dad was dead, went away, squandered it all, and comes home with his tail between his legs. And he apologizes to his dad, and his dad wraps his arms around him as if the favored child has come home, as if he's done no wrong. And the older brother who's not done anything wrong, he's done everything by the book, didn't even bother to ask for his share of the inheritance. He watches all this and his jealousy just bubbles up. Remember that story. Now, imagine if I had you all talk about that from your perspective. To really get to the heart of what the story is about. Some of you will be the parent. Some of you are the older brother who has never done anything wrong, done it all by the book. And some of you in that group of 10 will be the prodigal. And when we are together as the body of Christ and we hear that story, when we celebrate the story from our diversity of viewpoints, we all walk away with a better understanding of it and what Jesus was really trying to teach us. So when we start with unity, unity in things that are essential and begin to celebrate the diversity of our thinking, we get to the real meaning and God is glorified through the ministries of the church. They see what the body of Christ, the body of believers 
is all about. Which brings us sort of to the final part of this. I mean, I think about that very beginning, that joke that I told at the beginning about the man that left those churches before he ended up in his church. See, the sad thing is about that joke is that that happens, right? We get upset about something. Someone's too judgy and we leave. We get upset because they don't like us and we leave. But friends, we are better together. Let me be really clear, my brothers and sisters, we are better together as a family, as the body of Christ, focused on essentials and have unity around that and celebrate and have grace and charity in the non-essentials. See, because when we're together, it's us against the world. It's us taking on the challenges of the world and together surviving them, but also conquering them. Think about a scripture that's sometimes used with weddings. It's a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You know, the idea is that one cord is the husband, the other cord is the wife, and you start to twist them together. And it's better, but the third cord is the one that adds the real strength. It's the Holy Spirit. Friends, what happens to us as a church if we are bound up, if we are tied tightly together by God's Spirit and we care for each other? That just as that story in the Bible talks about with those three cords, that there are two, that one is, you know, one is not alone any longer. One can take on the world, but can take on the world so much better with a partner. What about us? As the body of Christ, when we are wound together and tied tightly by the, by the Holy Spirit, we can take on the world and we celebrate each other's victories. We care for each other when we're wounded. We really live into our baptismal vows. The world knows that no matter what, that faithfully we are going to support defend, care, and celebrate with each other. So I think about what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, what he's really kind of posting on the wall for all the world to see what the church is. The church's witness is important to me. The church's witness is important to Christ because the whole world is watching the church to see what the church will do. If you don't believe me, watch what happens when a story comes out about a church that stumbles Everybody loves to read that article for the salaciousness of it. But you know, what if the story really was a church that was wrapped up in being the body of Christ? What if our witness was that we were together? We had a unity of thought, a unity around mission and grace and love, and that that's what matters most. And that's the platform from which we operate from. That's our foundation. What if we celebrated our diversity of thought, our diversity of ideas, our diversity of gifts, and we carried on and did our fair share of it? And what if as a community we bore each other's burdens and we cared for each other? See, that's the church that Paul wanted to exist in Corinth. That's the church that Christ envisions for the world that's the church that we, the people of Centenary United Methodist Church, can be. And when we're that church focused in unity, on our diversity, and on our community, that we bear fruit for all the world to see. And people want to be a part of that. And want to add to our story, add to our ministry. See, God is calling us to do that this year to bear that fruit that glorifies God because we're a church that uses our gifts in unity, celebrates diversity, 
and builds community of care and love for all the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.